0: Hi, everyone. This is Jamak. I am the creator of Data Mesh, uh, the founder of NextData. We are reimagining what data sharing could look like. We are growing our team rapidly, and we need you. If you are a distributed systems engineer, if you're a product manager or designer of a large scale PaaS, SAS infrastructure, please check out our page at nextdata.com and look at our open roles. We'd love to hear from you. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes already. This is a Mesh Musings episode where I do a relatively short overview, some might call a few of them rants, on a specific topic related to Data Mesh. Quick reminder as well to hit the Data Mesh Understanding link in the show notes to easily review listings of past episodes you might have missed, you know, that I've grouped up on different topics to make it easy if you want to do like a deep dive into governance or something like that. Do check out the Data Mesh Understanding offerings as well and the free community introduction and roundtable programs while you're there. Now with that, on to the Mesh Musing. <laughs> This is the bottom line up front, or a short summation of what you're, what's going to be covered in this episode and uh, kind of the high level uh, key points so that you can evaluate whether you want to listen to the full episode and whether this would be of value to you. So this bottom line up front, uh, in this episode, we're going to cover three topics. Number one is data virtualization products and why I don't personally think it's a good fit for data mesh. And this is specifically for creating and managing your data products. Um, I go into another, a number of reasons why, um, and I don't even mention the kind of boogeyman around data virtualization of performance. It's, It's specifically why I think there are problems with using it for actually creating your data products. The second Mesh Musing is about an article by Matthew Darwin where he asked, can we simply leverage our existing data platform but shift data ownership left to the domains? Um, I argue that the specific um, circumstances where you could do that would be if your data platform is already set up to enable the domains to manage their data rather than your data platform is set up to speed up data engineering tasks, which is the way that most data platforms are being built as far as I have seen, um, outside of the data mesh specifically. Otherwise, I say no, you can't just shift the responsibility left because you're adding responsibilities to those domains without the resources, and that's not a nice move. Um, You're adding the responsibility of owning the data, but then are you also adding data engineers to actually own and manage the pipelines and everything, the production side of things? Or are you simply saying, hey, domain team, you've got to own all of this and they have to learn a number of new technologies and uh, things like that. So I don't believe that that's... uh, a a valid way to go down for most companies relative to what they've built for their data platform. The third Mesh Musing is about the concept of a spec or speculative data product. This is somewhat in response or in addition to what I talked about with Paolo Plotter about uh, how Agile Labs is working with their customers to suss out what data products they already have and what data products they uh, may need to support business processes. So if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend it. Um, Paulo had some really great insights. So uh, a spec data product is uh, is a data product that isn't ready for actual inclusion in the mesh. It's not production ready, but it's a concept about, hey, we're thinking about sharing this data in this format this way with this set of SLAs and going and, and talking with potential consumers and showing them, you know, maybe a static set of data that you're not updating and things like that. Um, I asked some questions about whether this could work, how this could work. How do you make sure that those teams then don't go, oh, there's there's some data here. I'm going to include it in in a downstream data product. Um, be, how do we make sure that that people aren't seeing it as production-worthy and actually use it as a mechanism to gather feedback rather than a potential liability. So as always, if you have suggestions for future topics for Mesh Musings or other episodes, or you want to give some feedback or potentially be a guest, check the show notes on how to get in touch. With that bottom line upfront summary done, let's go ahead and jump into today's Mesh Musings. So this one is going to be a little bit more of a riff. (laughs) So uh, forgive me if it gets a a little bit uh, chaotic here, but I wanted to talk about where I see data virtualization being challenging relative to data mesh. And and when I'm talking about data virtualization, I'm talking about specifically the data virtualization tooling. I see a lot of the data virtualization vendors talking about, we can be the mechanism for creating your data products. And Jmac has talked about some challenges around this. And, and I think I'm even more, or I, I would say I'm almost certainly far, far, far more bearish on this than she is. I really don't like the concept of using data virtualization as your data product. Um, It could be used to be your input port, to grab the data and bring the data into a, a data product, but it really violates a lot of the core tenets, of what we're trying to do with data mesh. Um, when you think about data as a product, one of the things we th- we talk about is your data products, your the infrastructure of your data products as code that lives with your data product um, itself, right? That that when you're trying to think about observability of is this data product functioning how it should is there anomalies all sorts of things like that Um, you want to have something that is trustable and repeatable there right where you can think about your quality and meeting your slas um, of your, your data product well and when I think about data virtualization, you're going and you're live pulling data from, you know, your, your data sources. And so it's great in that you're able to, um, uh, you know, have that look in, you know, into your live systems. But again, you're not having the intentionality around, you um, what are my transformations? Can I actually um, monitor when, you know, Jmac talks about the, the bi-temporality of, of data and, and I'll, I, if, if I can get permission from her, I, I want to add the, the something she did on one of the ThoughtWorks radars, um, where she goes into exactly why bitemporality is so important. I'm, I'm, I'm Not going to pay it the same justice that she could, but it's about having the information of when was this piece of data last updated and when did I check to see has this data been updated, right? So, you know, this piece of data may have been updated last week and I checked an hour ago. So you can know, you know, how fresh it is and at what point you're able to say how fresh it is. Um, You don't have that with with data virtualization, right? You you may end up trying to push that into the source system, but a lot of source systems aren't going to have that, or it's going to be a very big pain in the butt to add that, um, that additional kind of value to figure that out. Um, you again, you're not going to have the, the quality aspect. And, and I think a big, big, big one for me is in data virtualization, a lot of it at least is I am either giving you the ability to go and kind of spelunk and just grab a whole bunch of different data. So there's no intentionality around this is the formed data product. Um, or I am creating a view for you. And I think the data virtualization folks think of that as being, okay, that's like a data product because you're saying, okay, I'm going to take these pieces of data from these different systems and create a single view for you. And that's going to be kind of the, the data product itself. But I may only want part of that Data product. So, as far as I understand it, you're consuming all or none, right? So, either you're getting this entire data product or not at all, right? You're not able to go, oh, okay, I want to um, filter it in this way with this and and um, these other features, or or that gets very very complicated, and that you're either providing, uh, um, you know, kind of pre-canned views and that as a uh, data product owner, you'd be creating a lot of these views to kind of satisfy a whole bunch of different potential queries. Or, you know, you're just saying, okay, you've got to consume all of the data each time, no matter what. And that's where... I think it just, it starts to really, really fall apart as a story as to, oh, we can, we can create these data products simply because they have the ability to go in and more easily than a lot of tooling and a lot of setups pull the data out of these source systems. That's where I say it could be used as the import. <laughs> I don't think they want to be thought of as kind of um, just the, EL system, which is kind of what an input port is. You're just extracting and and loading it into the data product. And then the data product does all of the um, transformations within itself. Um, But that's to me, I think, the safest, sanest way to, to, to approach this, where I think we could really see some amazing things from the data virtualization folks is if they want to be the query layer, right? Data virtualization is about pulling data from a lot of different systems and putting it into a um, a combinable or an understandable kind of end format, that's that's a big selling point. So if you think about pulling data from a lot of different, data products, um, if there's a way to tie that into the data catalog or or whatever, that data virtualization system can understand what my linking keys are and uh, across data products, then, you know, or or columns or whatever you want to call it. Uh, the, The name right now is escaping me, but that I, if I have that, um capability to do that then then this could be a really interesting place for them to play now that starts to also compete with the query fabric type people of you know the starbursts and things like that it starts to, to bump up against what you could think of for the data fabric folks of if you think about um, creating all of your data products as sitting you know that your platform, includes something like a data fabric so that you're um, not having to design uh, a whole bunch of different output ports for each and every data product and that I've got easier interoperability. That's something that that the promise is there. I haven't seen anybody doing it. I haven't heard of any real specific instances, but I think that's a really interesting Space or angle for those folks to, to go after, but you know I, one other point that that I, I forgot to touch on with data virtualization, where I have a big concern about is documentation. Right, if if I'm giving people the ability to go into source systems and pull that data, um. Do I have to document every single piece of data that I've got in every system? That just sounds awful to me <laughs> versus the intentionality of hey, I'm going to clean this stuff up for you and, you know, these 15 columns are random things that I don't think people need to know. Oh, here's these these feature flags that we've deprecated from, you know, 8 years ago and don't need to to actually have in here. I guess I don't know if feature flagging was really as as popular eight years ago, but you, I think you get my point. Of there's a problem around the the documentation side as to when I go to a consumer and say, you know, here have at it versus here I prepared something for you. It's it's bringing the the uh diner uh at a restaurant into the kitchen and going hey here's the menu go ahead and prepare it you know and they're not sure what anything is nothing's necessarily labeled or whatever you don't know exactly what the things are or how much should you use or how do you cook it, or maybe, maybe, you know, there are a lot more chefs out there than, than I realized. But, um, you know, I, I think that intentionality around the domain saying, here is the data that I want you to have access to, and here is why, and here is the format that I think is going to give you the, the most value and the ability to, to cross that with data from a lot of other systems. I don't see that with data virtualization. I could totally be wrong, but I'm just, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing where they're, they're putting that out there, uh, where the vendors are putting it out there in a way where I'm like, yeah, I want, I want that as part of my, my solution. So, um, happy to chat with any of the virtualization folks. Happy to, to have, um, Somebody come and, and, and learn me good on, on what why I'm totally wrong on this. But I'm real worried about that uh, trying to serve as the data product itself versus if, if they can solve the experience plane problem for the consumers. Yeah, I'll recommend you all day to everybody. Like, if that's a problem that you're going to focus on, awesome. But trying to be the end all, be all, um, I just think that you're not going to be creating quality data products. I think you're going to be creating um, kind of contextless data marts or that you're going to be creating. Um, Super raw, structured um, type of data instead and that you're sharing the raw data and that you're kind of expecting the what one of the big problems with data lake and the way a lot of people approach data lake is that it's it's you know clean and structure on query. and and to me that's that's not great, <laughs> right? I don't think that has a lot of empathy for the consumer. And so, I just I'm I'm not seeing something where I'm jumping up and down at this. So again, hopefully this was a useful uh, sharing of my context. I'm not saying that this is officially the the view of anybody else other than myself or the community or or whatever. But I wanted to to put this out there and and see what people think as well. So please do. Especially on, on ones like these that are a little more controversial, would love to hear people's feedback. Up next, more mesh musings. I wanted to talk today about the concept of a spec or a speculative data product. At, you know, a high level, the concept is to go out with you know, kind of an initial concept, but not even a fully baked data product. It's almost a, a pre-MVP or pre-minimum viable product um, to go and talk with your potential consumers and figure out what you need to add to it, what you can trim for it, what what you should change about it. Um, the reason why I wanted to include this is that you know, Paolo Platter had given a really, really great interview about what they're doing at Agile Labs with their customers um, in interviewing the uh, constituents around what data products they already kind of have and need to migrate to the mesh and what uh, business processes they need to support via uh, a data product that hasn't been created. This is another potential tool in your toolbox. I don't think this is necessarily right for every org. I'll get to that a little bit later, but it's something to think about. So let's start with just kind of some concepts or some some questions that you might want to ask and, and figure out. I'm, I'm not going to say this is the only way to go about this, but this is something that I'm seeing a few companies do. Um, notably, HelloFresh mentioned that they were doing this in uh, one of their meetup talks that they did. I believe it was Pedro Castillo had mentioned um, doing kind of these spec data product concepts. So you know, do you want to start with an overly broad data product and scale back? So you kind of start with, we're going to share a whole, whole, whole lot of data. Um, in our in our speculative data product and what we're putting out there um to solicit feedback and then we're going to scale back what we don't need you know the concept of how are we going to share this data not just the format of the data or what data we're going to share but like what is the output port look like what specifications um might we hit what are our SLAs going to be you know how live is this data going to be or you know, liveness, freshness, whatever you want to call that. Um, what's our quality threshold? All of those things, kind of putting out almost a a the concept of a bid to say, here's what we're thinking. Give us some feedback. So, and the next question I think is is how do you actually go about soliciting that feedback? Um, Intuit did a great post on this in, early in 2021 by Tristan Baker about the questions that they're asking internally. What are they really trying to uh, go and, and talk to their constituents about? Because there's so many kind of potential unasked questions that you could have when you're, when you're taking out something like this to your potential consumers. So my recommendation is, is to kind of look through that Intuit post, and, and I'll put it in the in the notes. But, you know, do that internal product marketing concept with your consumers. Talk to them one-on-one, not just put something out, you know, from behind closed doors and you're just going to put it out and hope it it lands. Actually go out and talk to them. You know, there should probably be, if you're going to be doing this on a regular basis, there should probably be something at the, the overall organization level to have an internal distribution of some kind that's announcing new data products or announcing, um, you know, request for comment kind of uh, data products so that you can actually have that back and forth. Maybe do a lunch and learn or something like that. Um, and as I said, going to the teams, talking one-on-one, where you say, okay, I think you're going to want to, really look at this data product. Um, some concerns that I do have is, is you know, how would you put out a, a speculative data product like this and make sure that people aren't going to use it or aren't going to view it as if it's a production-worthy data product? Right? You're, you're trying to put out something as this, hey, you <laughs> us some feedback, and somebody tries to actually use you know build something off of that whether it's a downstream data product or something else that's a concern so how do you market so that people don't do that do you actually put in stoppers at the platform level where you ask your your data platform team to make it so people can't actually integrate this data into a more full query um, in certain ways or Do you over-document it and, you know, you put it in 50 different places (laughs) that say, uh, you know, speculative data product or do not use or dummy data? Um, Do you put in non-sensical data so folks couldn't even use it if they tried? Um, My recommendations here, again, this is just kind of from some conversations I've had, but also um, I think some uh, thinking through this a little bit deeper is to put in that real data, you know, probably exclude the PII if you can, or transform it, mask it in some way so people can get a sense of what data is going to be in there and and what that data product's really going to look like and how they might use it. But, you know, you're not also not making, you're not updating it in, from a liveness perspective. You might have that as a static um, information set and that, you know, that, that, you're not constantly trying to actually create it as a product just yet. Um, You could put something in the column names. And so each column name starts with dummy or test or spec or something like that to make it very, very obvious so that if somebody tries to use it, um, it's going to be relatively obvious. You know, there should definitely be something to market in the catalog or documentation. Um, You know, probably both whatever you're using to communicate how people learn about new data products to market as a speculative data product. I don't think you want to focus too too much on preventing people from using it, right? If you if you write it down that this is speculative and they kind of burn themselves by doing that, there's only so much you can do to prevent somebody from touching a hot stove. You mark it as hot, you you tell people that there is a stove here. When it's red, it's hot. Don't put your hand on it. I think you kind of have to do it's a high trust environment in that you also have to trust your people to read the manual and and think through what they're doing. And if your org isn't highly data literate or high trust just yet, as you're moving towards data mesh, I don't think speculative data products are are probably worth the risk. Right. I think it's something that could be um, more harm than good. If you're actually putting these on to what somebody could discover and use of, you know, the platform to actually uh, access this data product. So I think you want to think through, is this a great approach? I think it can be very, very helpful and very uh, useful. But again, you want to kind of answer these questions. I think I put down a, a lot of pretty good questions here. My recommendation, your mileage may vary. I'd say answer these questions for yourself, but I think this should get you headed down a good path on this concept. If you've got any questions, comments, feedbacks, there's uh, instructions in the uh, show notes on how to send me some information, but would love to hear what people are thinking about the concept of a speculative data product. Up next, more Mesh Musings. So Matt Darwin had posted an article a, a few weeks back, and I'm going to post a link in the show notes. I, I do recommend you read it. I think it's a, a great article, and I think it asks a really provocative question, um, which is: Do we really need to decentralize the architecture when we're talking about data mesh, or can we continue to have the same platform and centralized architecture, but? just shift that data ownership, that responsibility left to the domains? You know, can we just leverage what we've already built? One misconception I want to clear up before I jump into this specific topic is that with data mesh, there's a lot of people who think that you have to throw out everything you've done before. Um, And I think that's absolutely untrue. You can keep the technologies you know and love. This doesn't mean if your company is loving using Kafka or Pulsar or um, you know, Snowflake or whatever, that you have to throw that out the window and completely rebuild from scratch. And especially if you've already paid for them, right? There, there is that uh, sunk cost is, is not a fallacy in this um, particular instance. So, But it's crucial to adapt those technologies to your needs that you're actually trying to achieve with data mesh. So... The way most companies have been approaching data, there will need to be pretty big configuration management changes to these technologies that you've been using, right? You you can't just use the same setup because that setup has been set for a centralized data team. So we need to make it so that it's simple for domains to process, store, serve data instead of managing their individual technologies. So back to Matt's article. So from my perspective, if your data platform is set up to enable domains to easily transform and serve their data, it's totally possible that you could just use what you've already built, right? And and I do also want to point out that data mesh isn't for every company. So if you're talking about a company that's got four or five domains, you don't need data mesh, right? Like this could be a perfect solution for that. But when you're talking about the companies that are having, you know, the problems of six to nine months between trying to ask a question and getting to the data to actually, you know, be able to answer it. Um I don't think that this uh is enough of a, a change, right? If you aren't in that situation, and you're trying to just shift the responsibility left, you're giving the domains a lot of extra responsibility. And if you're doing that without giving them additional resources, that's a, what I call, dot, 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 not nice move. Probably use a different uh, phrase than not nice, but um, what you would look to do in data mesh is that Additional resources is in somebody who really knows how to um, model the data so that you can actually make it very usable for consumers, as well as additional resources from the platform so they can focus on sharing their business context and not managing technologies. Most data platforms are not built that way. If yours is, awesome. Again, you might be one of the, the fair few where your data platform isn't built to make things much more efficient for your data engineering team, if it's for uh, abstracting away the challenges of transforming and and storing and serving your data, possibly, right? I don't want to say never, never, but pretty rarely from the conversations I'm having and from what I've seen. So, you know, if you do just try to shift this, responsibility to the left, to the domains. So they have to now, uh, they're now responsible for their data in general, but they're not owning the capabilities to serve that data. There is still going to be bottleneck issues, or are you pushing to them as well that they have to start choosing, you know, selecting and managing their own technologies? How do you start to think then about creating common data standards to allow interoperability because otherwise what we're headed for is just high quality data silos, right? And that's one of the things that data mesh is really trying to prevent with, um, you know, the federated governance and with the platform capabilities, it's to specifically make sure that when we're serving up this high quality data with high context, that you actually also have high usability and that it's not just great information about a singular domain. Um, As I said earlier, all of this is probably pretty moot in a smaller company. If you were to look at startups or or even many digital native companies that have scaled considerably, just the the centralized architecture, but the domains owning the data, is how a lot of them have organized. And it scales to a point, it scales to a certain point relative to number of domains, complexity of domains, um, and it can work. But if you if you're trying to compare yourself to an Airbnb, Airbnb is creating significant open source technologies that many other companies are using. We don't want all companies to have to then fully roll their own airflow, or um, you know, if you look at Lyft, then Amundsen, or LinkedIn with Kafka and um, Pinot and uh, Data Hub and all these other technologies, right? We don't want every company to have to be uh, capable of creating their own technologies um, at that kind of level, so if you're a large company and you're not that kind of super ultra digital native, it's probably not <laughs> right for you. Um, you know, just doing the, uh, keeping the centralized architecture um, and your existing platform, but having the domains own the data. So, you know, if another point is if your centralized team is already overwhelmed trying to individually manage, all the pipelines and the the data storage and all of that themselves. If you're even if you're moving those people from that centralized team out into the domains, if you're not improving the platform capabilities, it just seems like it's more bound for disaster because you're just embedding these people into just continually do this one-off work. And are they really going to learn the? Um, the business context of the domain, or are they going to, again, just be managing pipelines all day? Um, I haven't seen that that's, um, I haven't seen anything that tells me that that's not going to be the case. So if somebody out there is is done it, I would love to hear what you've done to put people into the domains, but be able to manage having that centralized uh, platform architecture. So to kind of sum up Matt's question, can we simply shift the responsibility left for the data to the domains, but keep our existing platform and architecture? In most cases, I say no. But we're also going to have Matt on this week to have a friendly discussion about this general concept and, and this article and see if we can find a middle ground or if we can figure something out. Because I would love to prevent people from having to do extra work. So if we can still have the, the, the benefits of what Data Mesh is seeking to do without having to do a lot of extra work around building that platform, yay, let's go for that. I just don't think it's possible. Hopefully that was a useful Mesh Musing for you. Please do rate and review the podcast. It really does help. And if you'd like to get in touch and see how I can be helpful to you, check out the show notes. I'm pretty easy to find. As I mentioned, there are some great free programs in addition to some very affordable things around implementer intros and roundtables on the Data Mesh Understanding website. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And with that, now on to the funky outro music.